And so we're starting, we're talking, we've been talking about Luke chapter 1, okay, and as it turns out, the way, okay, well, first of all, Luke is writing a biography of Jesus, okay, and he's, but he starts at a really obscure point in the story because he's, he writes the story of people who came before Jesus. So um, it's weird because the story's about Jesus, but you don't hear about Jesus until chapter 2, which we're going to be talking about at Christmas Eve service. And so, um, but I want to share with you guys some of the styles that he's using because he, he was writing to, to a Gentile audience, and when he wrote this, this book, uh, he was writing to a group of people who didn't read the same way that we read today. They read with a different mindset. So one of the ways they do is, you know how if you're watching a, a TV show, and you're like on episode 5 or 6, and you don't know what happened before, if you tune in just at the right time, they give you this recap, like, last episode on whatever show you like to watch. This is what happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and now the continuation of whatever show you like to watch. Like, that's how it usually goes, right? Except you fill in the blank, you know. Well, anyways, right? They didn't do that back then. And so Luke is writing this letter, of this letter, this book, to a group of people who are somewhat familiar uh, with Jewish history, but somewhat not. So the way they do this is by... Well, they t he tells a story by pointing back to past stories so that you're reminded of the stories that came before. So this is the ghost of Christmas past. So for example, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25, you know, the story about how Zechariah was like, we don't have any kids, we're really old, and my wife and I, we we're barren, we, what do we do? That's a callback to the story of Abraham and Sarah. They're like, remember that story? Well, the same thing is happening today. So that was the ghost of Christmas past for the the first part of the series. Then the week after that, we talked about chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 38, right? When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to name your kid. No, no, you don't get to choose what you're going to call your, name, your, your, your first son. We're going to tell you what to name him. His name is Jesus. Now, the word Jesus is the name Joshua in the Hebrew. Uh, the name Jesus is the word Yeshua, okay? And you know how, like, the name John is, like, Juan in, you know, in certain parts of the world, and but it's John here, you know, right? Um, in the same way, okay, the name Joshua is Jesus in, in the Latin culture. So, so that's why he's called Jesus. But when, when the angel came to Mary and said, your son's name is going to be Jesus, the first thing that came through Mary's mind was, I know who Joshua is. I know what hero he was. Wait, are you telling me that my son is going to be like Joshua, the Old Testament? So there's this um, callback. That was the ghost of Christmas past in the part two of the series. Part three, Mary sings a song. When she finds out she's pregnant with, with the Savior of the world, she sings a song, but if you look at the lyrics of the song, this is verse 39 through 30, uh, 56, she, she sings songs that are straight out of the book of 1 Samuel when this character named Hannah sings a song. And so when she's singing this song, the reader, as Luke is writing the story, when you read it, Luke is calling you to, like, remember what happened to Hannah? Remember her story? Remember the role that her son played in that story? And so these are all callbacks to the Old Testament. Now, today we're closing up the book of First. Uh, the first chapter of Luke. And what's weird about this last section is that the callback is not to a specific character. Well, in a way it is, but it's not. As a matter of fact, verse 57 through verse 80 is a callback to the history of the entire nation of Israel. Now, what's interesting about this, char this character, quote-unquote character, is that in the Old Testament, sometimes when they refer to this nation of Israel, they don't call it the nation of Israel like, the, like they don't call it it. For some reason, they keep calling it her. Like, if, it's as if the nation of Israel is a woman, okay? And this woman, 
kind of like she, she's been blessed. She's God's favorite. She's God's bride, right? Like there's all these imageries and these personifications of Israel being a woman, okay? And in this story of the Old Testament, and I'm going to catch you up with everything that, because we're going to get to chapter one of Luke later, okay? But I want to catch you up with what's been going on with her. Because in order to understand what Luke is about to say, we need to understand the story that's leading up to it in terms of this final character of Ghost of the Christmas Past, which is Israel. Okay, so what's been happening is that in the beginning of the story, God watches Israel grow up. She's like, look at her. She's a beautiful woman. And I like this nation, this woman, this is the one that I have chosen that's going to go and bless the world. Everything in the world is going to be okay because of her. And I'm going to do, do everything I can to make sure that she's going to be okay. But in this story, this woman encounters a bully. Let's call this bully Egypt. Okay, Egypt comes and bullies her takes everything away from her, enslaves her. And then this woman, Israel, she falls on her knees and she cries out to God, God, what am I supposed to do? Would you please save me? And according to the book of Exodus, God comes and saves her and pulls her out of Egypt. Now, the problem with this story is that even though God was able to pull her out of Egypt, there's a little bit of Egypt that she brought with her. And so for the next 40 years, God teaches her how not to become a bully. One day when she has, every, when she has it made, quote unquote made, one day when she has everything that she needs to survive and maybe even more, right? God wants to make sure that Israel doesn't become Egypt in the future. So he teaches her, like, you need to depend on me. You're, not gonna, you're going to see people who are in need. You're going to help them because that's the kind of woman you're supposed to be. So this is a story of, of, of Israel cr- crying out. So whenever Israel was in trouble, whenever Israel was like, gosh, you know, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. If you look through the Old Testament, you'll always discover that they point back to the Exodus story to say, no, God's going to help us out. Why? Because they believe that God rescues victims. God rescues victims. There you go, right? God rescues victims because they're like, we're in trouble right now. And they'll tell stories to each other. Remember that time in Egypt when we were being bullied? Remember that? Remember how God rescued us? And there's been many times since then when we've been in trouble and God rescued us. Remember that story? And they will always tell these stories to each other to give themselves hope. Because every time they're in need, God has come and rescued them. But eventually, this woman, Israel, falls into a different type of problem. Because up until now, whenever she was in need, God was there to rescue her, right? Because they were the victim. But there came a time when she fell into trouble, but she wasn't the victim, right? As a matter of fact, it wasn't that she was a victim. She did it to herself. There's many times in the 40 years that there were, you know, God was teaching her some things. Like God's like, this is how you ought to live. This is how you should do. This is how you should make decisions. This is how you should spend your money. And they were following these rules to make sure that they were on the right track. But eventually, she started saying like, you know what? God's way might be the right way, but this other way that we found is the better way because we have more fun this way or we can make more money this way or we can have more friends this way and so they started to define for themselves turning their backs on god what and how they should live their lives so the question wasn't no longer is god going to rescue us because we're victims the question was this what if we're at fault would god still rescue us if we're the ones that put us in this ditch because up until then in history they look back and they're like, we're not sure if God's going to rescue us if we're at fault. We're not sure if this is, and you know, and this, this is kind of like our lives too, right? Where we're like, when I'm in trouble, I cry out to God and God answers my prayers. But, but now I'm in a situation where I turn my back on God and that's what caused me to fall into this ditch. 
Does God still care about me when I do that? Is, has God given up on me when I'm the one that's at fault? And that's a question that's happening here. So um, from here, we're going to move to the book of Isaiah. Now, now, the book of Isaiah is interesting because the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet, this, one of the biggest prophets of the Old Testament. He shows up to Israel, Israel who has been turning their back on God, doing what they want to do, right? And they've actually seen success in doing what they want to do. They've, like, they partnered with people who were their enemies, and, and now they're making a lot of money, and they're, they're, they have chariots, and they have gold, and they have everything they've ever wanted. And at that point, this prophet shows up at the door. This is Isaiah chapter 39, and this is what the prophet says to the king of Israel at the time. This is what he says. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Babylon is like the big bully of the day. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. He's like, I see everything. I see your palace. I see how you have everything you ever wanted. You see the riches. You're like eating every, anything you want every day. You know, this is great. I know you're thinking you're living the life that you always wanted. And in order to get here, I know you turned your back on God. And now you're thinking, we made the right choice turning our back on God because we got everything we wanted. Well, let me tell you, everything you gained up until now is one day going to be all gone. He's like, I'm just prophesying right now. I'm just going to predict what's going to happen next. The people you partnered with that God told you not to partner with is eventually come in and intrude your place, take everything, and then leave, and you're going to be left with nothing. At the time, the king is like, right, yeah, because look, look, we have a strong army. We're, nothing like that's going to happen to us, God, because, you know, right? Next verse. That's not all. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away. They're going to be snatched away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. He says, one day, not only are your stuff is going to be taken away, your people are going to be taken away. And these people who are living their lives like they have like, everything in the world they wanted, right? And in a world where the more people you had in your kingdom, the better. It's like one day, these people, your descendants, are going to be eunuchs. They're going to be servants for another king, the enemy king. And after this, he pretty much drops the mic and walks away and says, okay, I have nothing to do with this. I warned you, and he walks away. And so chapter 39 ends in a very sad way, like, watch. God told you not to do it, and you did it, and this is what's going to happen to you. Be very careful, and he walks away. Because that's, that's what happens. Now, between chapter 39 and chapter 40, 150 years pass. And in the 150 years, sure enough, Babylon comes in, and choose their place, tears down their place, take their people, and they leave. So we're going to go to chapter 40, but before we go to chapter 40, there are some poetry and some literature that's written in that 150-year gap. And I want to share that with you. We're going to look at Lamentations chapter 1. Okay, this is a poet. This is Jeremiah, who is, I guess is a poet the way he writes. It's like poetry, right? And he's looking at the desolation, the whole destruction of their once beautiful city, and this is what he says. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. A translation of this would be like this in today's world. You know that girl that was at school in high school? She was like the it girl that I could never talk to. No, you don't know her? Okay. Well, she, okay. <laughs> like she was like prom queen. She was like the, the girl that like... Like, if you're a guy, if you're caught talking to her on the locker and everybody sees it, you're in. Like, you're good, right? The prophet here is saying, Israel, you used to be that it girl. You used to be that woman that everybody wanted to be or everybody wanted to be with, right? People were lucky if they had a time, like, like 
a minute with you. That's the kind of country, that's the kind of nation you used to be. But now you're a slave. You're in rags. Look at the height you've fallen from. So that's how he starts, okay? And then he says, bitterly, she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. And among all her lovers, there is, now I want you to read this with me. If it's underlined, read it with me. It says, no one to comfort her. She's crying out. She's saying, I had everything at one point, everything I ever wanted. And you know how I got that? By turning my back on God. And I was reaching out to all these people out there because they were lucky to have me. And I had everything I ever wanted. And now I'm alone. I'm in rags. And I'm calling out to help to these very people that I turned my back on God for. And none of them are responding. And there's no one there to comfort me. We're going to go to verse 9. Her filth clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. And there was, one more time, none to comfort her. You're going to see this repetition happen, okay? There's nobody there to comfort her. There were the people who she counted on to be there for her, but there's nobody there. Verse 17. Zion, which is a word they used for the capital city of Israel at the time. That's Jerusalem. Zion stretched out her hands like, please, somebody help me. But there is, once again, no one to comfort her. This is a pattern. She's like, so in between these verses, she's like, please help me. I'm falling apart. I, I'm desperate. And then it says, and I reached out my hand, and there's no one to comfort her. There's no one to comfort me. There's no one there to help me out. Verse 21. People have heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. Over and over and over again. And, you know, at this point, what they're thinking is this. This is what's going through the mind of Israel. She's thinking this. When we were victims, God was there to rescue us right? But then again, this question, it comes up again. But what if we're at fault? We made this happen to ourselves. We consciously did this. It wasn't like by accident this happened. It's like we consciously made decisions that led us to this place, and there's no one there to help us out. Everybody, like we turn our back on God so we can have everything, and now everything, we're reaching out to them at a time of need, and nobody is reaching out back to us. There's no one there to comfort me. It's the loneliest time in Israel history. You've ignored God's warning. God says, don't do that. Don't get into that relationship. And you're like, you know what? I know, I hear, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to be lonely, so I'm going to go with this relationship and ignore you. Or it's like, God's like, that pride that's inside of you that's growing and growing, you got to put that in check. And you're like, yeah, I hear you, God, but... I'm actually enjoying this pride. It makes me feel strong. It makes me feel like I'm strong to other people. Like, I hear you, but I'm just going to turn my back on you because by showing pride, I can be friends with this person. Or, or, or like greed. God's like, don't be greedy. Remember the 40 years in the desert I taught you how not to be greedy by relying on me each day for bread? It's like, yeah, I, I hear that, God, but I like to have security in terms of like, I want to make sure I'm going to be able to eat for the next few years. So I'm just going to hoard onto everything. Like they turn their backs on God consciously for the sake of their own prosperity. And when they got there and they lost everything, everything that they counted on, everything they turned their backs on God for, has completely abandoned them. That's what happens between chapter 39 and 40 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 takes place 150 years after the fact of 39. And this is why chapter 40 is 
the favorite verse of Israel because the first line after 150 years of bad news, right? The first line you hear from God is this. Okay, this is what he says. Comfort, oh, comfort my people. Doesn't that, okay, if that's an exciting, I can't help you, okay? But that, that was really exciting to these people. For years and years, 150 years, they're like, nobody's there to comfort me. And we're not even sure if God's going to come and get us because it was our fault. There's no one there to comfort us. All these people over here are not going to comfort us. And we turn our back on God, so he's not going to comfort us. And then in chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort, oh, comfort my people. And they read this and they're like, Oh, this is so great. I love you, God. Okay, now, now this is God speaking to his prophet. It's like God's like, I want you to go and tell the people, the people who've been uncomfortable for 150 years, I want you to go there and tell her, Comfort, comfort my people. Right? And he says, Speak softly and tenderly to Jerusalem, but also make it very clear that she has served her sentence, that her sin is taken care of, forgiven. It's like all these times you turn it back on God. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it's like all these times you turned your back on God, God is saying, I know you abandoned me so you could go to these people over here, but guess what? I'm going to forgive you. Now, this is a prophecy. This is a prophet, God speaking to prophet saying, I want you to go tell them that this is what's going to eventually happen. Okay, like God, like this comfort's not going to come right now, but it's going to be coming. Okay, so he's like, I want you to know that there's going to come a time where God's going to say all is forgiven. She's been punished enough and more than enough, and now it's over and done with. And the question is, okay, God's going to comfort us. How, how will we know that's, that's, that's coming? What's, how, how are we going to know that this comfort is right on the corner? And the God, God tells the prophet, this is, here's a sign that you need to hear because this is a sign that you need to know because that's when you know that the comfort is right around the corner. And that's verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, read it together, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for, the, for God. He's like, this is how you're going to know that comfort's right around the corner. There's going to be a dude in the desert that's going to be screaming out, prepare the way of the Lord, meaning roll out the red carpet because God's about to come. There's going to be a person that's going to come right before the main, the main show that's going to come and say, the main show's about to show up. I'm about to roll out the red carpet. Okay, so that's the sign. Okay? Now, the next part of this Isaiah passage is kind of weird because the prophet who's hearing this from God is like, now, God, I want... Prophet, I want you to go and tell the people that comfort's around the corner. Tell them the sign. Tell them everything. Now, I want you to not just tell them, I want you to shout it, right? And, and, and the prophet's kind of reluctant. You're going to see the next verse right here. Voice says, shout. God's like, I want you to go and tell them, shout. I said, what shall I shout? I'm like, what am I supposed to say? These people are nothing but grass. They're love fragile as wildflowers. The grass withers and wildflowers fade. If God so much as puffs on them, aren't these people just uh, so much grass. True, the grass withers and the wildflowers fade, but our God's word stands firm and forever. This is what he's saying. God, are you sure you want me to tell this to th- this good news to them? Don't you know they're like, like grass and flowers? Like today they're blossoming, but tomorrow they're going to wither. Like they're going to, when I tell them this, they're going to be like, oh, God is so good. I'm going to rededicate my life to God. But the first sign of winter, they're going to be like, eh, never mind. I'm going to go back to my warm cabin. It's like, are you sure you want to tell these people that you're here to comfort them? You know who you're dealing with, right? And God would say, yeah, I took a look. Last time I checked, these people are very, very unloyal people. I totally get it, right? So why, why do you want me to tell this to them? You know that history is going to repeat itself. And God says this. This is amazing. Okay, verse, verse 9. 
you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. It's like, prophet, I want you to go to the highest mountain around Jerusalem. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the town of Judah, here is your God. This is what he's saying. I know these people are not loyal to me. I know these people are like, like they change directions on a whim. I know that today they're going to say they love me, and tomorrow when something else comes in town that's be- that seems better than me, they're going to turn their allegiance to them. I know that's the nature of these people. But whenever they're in trouble, I want you to go to the top of the mountain and shout to them, God is still here. God has not abandoned you. My love for you is not conditional. Like your allegiance to me, which is very conditional, my allegiance to you is not conditional. I will love you regardless of the state of your heart. In other words, this is his way of saying, God will never give up on you. Never. You have given up on God, Israel, he would say. You have given up on him. You lost faith in him. But when your faith is weak, God's faith in you is still strong. No matter where you are in your walk with God, whether if you're close to him or you turn your back on him consciously, purposefully, God will still say, when you're in trouble, if you call out my name, I'll be there on the mountain saying, I am still here for you. God will never give up on you. Now, we're going to go into Luke 1 now. Okay, it's going to all make sense in a second. Now, at the point in the story, we're going to start from verse like, like 64-ish. Um, but at this story, at this point, Zechariah, remember he was told that he was going to have a baby after you know, his old age, <laughs> right? And the minute he was told that he was going to conceive a child, for nine months, he was not able to speak or hear. And then John is born, his first son, his only son is born, John, right? And all of a sudden, he starts to speak. And that's where we're going to pick up this story. Chapter 1, verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And that's basically, uh, like, God is basically saying, um, this represents the nation of Israel. Like, you haven't heard from God for a long time. And now you're about to hear from him for the first time. So that's kind of his way of doing that. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the, the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. They were like, did you hear about Zach? He, he couldn't talk for a long time. And now he, at his old age, he had a kid. And now he's able to talk. Everybody gather around. What is this first word? What is he going to say? I want to know what the most, like, he's been thinking about what he's going to say for nine months. And I'm sure he's been jotting things down. And now he has this perfect poem that he wants to share with us. Everybody pay attention. What is he going to say? Right? And so next verse, he's about to start. He's going to say, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? They're talking about John. John, like when John is born, he's able to speak. So there's a big deal. There's something big about this kid, right? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, at this point, you have to imagine Zechariah picking up his baby, newborn baby John. And he's looking at John and he speaks these words. Now, everybody's around listening too. So, okay, so this is what he says. Now, we're going to skip to verse 676 for time's sake. Okay, this is what he says. And you, my child, he's talking about John. John, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on on before the Lord to, what does it say? Prepare the way of him. Where have you heard that before? Where have you heard that before? Yes, yes, Isaiah chapter 40. That's that verse where they're like, I thought God turned his back on us because we turned our back on him, right? But as it turns out, God's on the mountain shouting, I'm still here for you. 
It's never too late to turn back on me. So that's what's going through their minds as they're reading this. They're saying, John, remember that character that we talked about in Isaiah 40 that we've been reading for the past whatever years? The person that, that's going to prepare the way before comfort shows up? Remember that? It's like when John was born, Zechariah speaks for the first time in nine months, and he says, guys, for hundreds of years we've been wondering if God would even care for us, even, even though we turn our backs on him. This child is proof that God still loves us, that comfort is one generation away, that this character here is going to be paving the way for the one to come that's going to bring comfort back to us. So he says, he says, the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It's like, this child is the one that we've been waiting for because he is the pre-show before the main show. This child is proof that God has not given up on us. The birth of John was a reminder that God had not given up on them. That's the character of God. No matter how you treat him, no matter how many times you turn your back on him, he will not give up on you. Up until now, you said, well, I'm the victim here. And I know God would be there for me. But this time around, I really wronged him. This time, I publicly told everybody that I, that I don't think he's, he's any, you know, like, whatever choices you made, God warned you. God said, don't do that. And you did it anyways, because you thought that's what we needed to do to survive. Or, or God told you not to do this, and you did it anyways, because that's how you got popular. Or God told you not to do these things, and you did it anyways, because that helped you make more money. And at that point, you're like, does God even care about me? Because now I really need him. And according to what we read today, we know that God has not given up on you. God hasn't given up on you. Maybe you're in a place where you made some bad decisions in your life. And you're expecting God to point his finger at you and say, ah, I told you so, nah, <laughs> like I totally called it in your face, right? No, but according to the scriptures, it says that's not the character of God at all. God is a character who says, I tried to help you because I love you. And even though you totally ignored my advice, my love for you hasn't changed. I still love you. It's never too late to come back to me. And that's how the first chapter of Luke ends before the arrival of Jesus in this story. It ends with a place of hope. It starts with a place of despair in the beginning of chapter 1, and it ends with a place of hope that God has not given up on Israel, and God has not, forgiven up, have not, has not given up on you has not given up on us. So where are you today? Have you turned it back on God? And you've been afraid to come back? You're afraid that God might point at you and laugh? Or be disappointed in you? Wherever you are, God is saying, I'm at the top of the mountain screaming to you. I am right here. I am here for you. Whenever you're ready to turn back to me, my arms are open wide. When you don't have faith in God, God has faith in you. When you've given up on God, God has not given up on you. When you don't feel like you have the courage to come back to this relationship with God, God says, you don't have to have courage to come back to me. I will have courage for both of us. God's love endures forever. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer.